Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. shit from shit I stepped in, look in the mirror and point my weapon, you so soft you won't do nothing, wanna be starting something, got to be starting something, wants to be starting something, got to be starting something, get low and take you under, hang high and make it over, shoot yourself in the middle, when the pain is thunder, no, no, fuck that shit, smoke a blunt, it's the best I get, I live my life with no regrets, and so I'm stuck with the pain, live my life with no regrets. And I'm stuck with the shame. That's paranoia for ya. Paranoia I didn't get over. That's paranoia for ya. That's why you're drunk, not sober. That's paranoia for ya. True love might be over. No. And God will do it for you. Faith for you. Will call supernatural miracles to happen Such for an you. Such hour of, as this, and God is using this thing, and God is a prayer answering God. But honey, all I knew was singing, preaching, having church. We, I was a drug baby. I am a drug baby. I was drugged to church every Tuesday night, every Thursday night, every Saturday night, every Sunday. I, mama, I. I don't want to go to church. My mother said, when you're 18, you can have an opinion. But until you're 18, we're going to go with my opinion. And my opinion is you need Jesus and you're going to church. Honey, you needed a sack lunch when you went to revival on Friday night. And believe it. Now, I'm going to pray in tongues for a moment. And maybe you've never. What up, what up? <clears throat> what up? This is Marlon, aka Sherlock Homeboy, back like I never left. Fast as a statue, being nosy minding my business. Welcome. What up, Sherlock homies? <laughs> what up, Sherlock Nation? Are you entertained? Ah, welcome to. Hello, I'm Marlon, a genius. Suckers. Why you have to suck? I think it's corny and funny. So, uh, yeah, we're back. 
Welcome to another episode. So today we're uh, doing something a little different, man. We're going to, since I am Sherlock Homeboy, we're going to check out the mysterious murder of a math genius. So we're going to blend podcast kind of. We're going to have Sherlock Homeboy join us on this uh, episode where we look into the mysterious murder of a math genius. So, uh, what's going to be my little generic statement based upon the title only? The good thing about being a genius, it's not connected to money. But check this out. It's definitely not connected to money. So you got that down, it's not connected to money. But here's one thing that's for sure about uh, us geniuses. First of all, look, have you looked in the mirror today and said, I, hello, I'm Marlon a genius? Insert name, I mean, you're not Marlon, I'm Marlon. Have you looked in the mirror and said, I'm a genius today? Let's, 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 uh, let's take the time out to uh, tell ourselves we are retarded. Ha ha. We are a genius. You can't double stamp or triple stamp. Okay, so let's take a time out. One, two, three. I'm a genius. Do you believe it? Do you? You have to work on it a little bit, all right? You didn't say it, but I didn't, I didn't believe you. So what's our first generic statement on? Oh, we're about to get to it. Here's the good thing. It's not connected to money. It's connected to uh, self-belief and uh, polishing natural-born gifts. Uh Here's the good thing about us. People will miss us. People will miss us. Meaning, uh, don't get it twisted. We are forever special. And that's one trait by all geniuses can rely on. Subconsciously. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People know. Subconsciously, uh, we're not just anybody. People care. People see see our see our genius subconsciously. So you can't you gotta be careful when dealing with us. You can't just do what you want to do. Like you can't just go around killing millionaires and billionaires. Uh uh uh. They are tracked, and uh, without any time going by, people are asking questions. It's kind of like us. We are special. People remember us. And at the same time, if you think you can just come over here and do what you want to do with us, no, it's bigger than Nino Brown. You really can't. 
You really can't. Because little did we know that people care about us. And people will wonder, what happened to that genius? Okay, without further ado, I think they're playing a commercial. So we're not just going to, uh, we're going to care about a fellow genius and look into uh, the mysterious murder of a math genius. Why would somebody want to kill a genius? The world be hating. Okay, let's go ahead and skip that ad. They hit me with they got then they got an in uh video ad. We're gonna just pause that. We're gonna get to it. So yeah, this is different. We never know where this is gonna lead. It's caring, this one's about caring about others. We're gonna look into uh well we need a little task. What's the task? What's the task? This is what we're gonna do. I am Sherlock Homeboy, so what we can do we can freestyle a, a job to do. We're gonna uh we're gonna look into uh, uh we're gonna add part of my podcast, How Not to Get Murdered. They're shooting. Let me get this piece of paper. So we're gonna steal this uh from a different podcast, this little uh game. We're gonna play a game also. It's called As We Listen, we're gonna try to force a generic rule that could pre- could prevent what happened to him. So, so this whole time is we're going to try to learn from what happened to him and try to update our computers so it don't happen to us. So try to find something that he could have did to avoid being murdered. Let me see. I once read an interview with Kurt Vonnegut in which he talked of his disenchantment with scientific truth because, quote, we dropped it on Hiroshima, unquote. Vonnegut's metaphor is apt. The truth is no flickering Hawaiian lantern. It is searing white light. Okay, I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get sidetracked. But speaking of dropping on Hiroshima and all that nuclear bomb shit, I thought that was what to destroy shit for like 50,000 years or some shit like that. What happened? What happened? Didn't they drop like, you know there's been like a thousand nuclear bombs dropped in America? Is it quite a thousand? It's up there. Yeah, it's probably up there. Do you know they dropped over a thousand nuclear bombs in America when they was testing it out? That mixed with uh, Japan today, what's that, what, 40 years? No, it's more than 40. What, 60 years later? More that, I guess it's what's that six oh eighty years later. There's no signs of uh, a nuclear fallout where they dropped the nuclear bombs. Right, it's just weird. That mixed with they dropped like about like seven hundred to a thousand nuclear bombs in America. Bullshit, <coughs> bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on the nuclear capabilities. It's not what they say it is. If it's so, what happened to Hiroshima? How come Japan is back to normal and been back to normal for decades? Off subject, on subject. Just weird. There's roaches and saints alike. 
It can flash a lyre to cinders and in the same stroke smoke the poor bozo next to him who all the while thought that God was on his side. time that this area was ripe for wildfire it had been dry for years and it was so hot it was like a hundred degrees for you know every day for three weeks and on the one particular night then there was huge thunderstorm activity and a number of fires got started in the hills that are rugged hills that are just to the south of town it started as just a, a little bit of smoke on the horizon in the morning time but to the south, you could see this ominous cloud of smoke rising in the distance. My first call was to go out to the city dams and keep people back from the helicopters. I remember thinking to myself, that's three or four miles south of here, and this is 10 miles south of town. What's the big problem here? Well, the next thing I knew, the fire's coming in on town. It looked like something out of a monster movie. I was sitting up on the uh, south side of town on a hill watching it come and it just kept marching towards town. And these things throw debris everywhere, debris that's on fire, so they can just spread it like a virulent disease. It was pretty exciting to be driving down the highway and look over to the side and just see flames leaping from tree to tree going as fast as we were back toward town. I'm on the roof with a hose because Amber's dropping in our neighborhood. Another off subject, uh, off subject, uh, man didn't even discover fire. In the natural habitat, we didn't, we, I guess we discovered it, we didn't create it. Like as in, like as in, in my mind, for some reason, I just thought man figured that out, or but they did it. It like it, it happened to him. So uh, this guy, I used to give man credit for uh, fire. <laughs> I know, I know. Sorry. Hey, hey. Sometimes you just gotta be honest. That's the best way you can do. Best thing you can do is be honest, man. Don't don't act like you know something when you don't. That's that's being one with yourself. That's becoming smarter. Hey, subconsciously, I used to give man, like the caveman didn't do shit. I gave cave, the caveman, he didn't do shit. He caught on, his his brother caught on fire, <laughs> and, and they just kept the flame going. You could hear the fire just, I mean, that crunching, that terrible, voracious crunching sound as it came over the hills. We could see it blazing all around us. The whole town was evacuated all the way to 6th Street. We had our car packed. We were ready to go. A couple of people said they didn't want to go. I said, well, step outside here for a minute. And they'd say, I'll be right with you. There's just no stopping this thing. But they did stop it. They had 600 firefighters all along here with all the equipment they had. Of course, things are still smoldering for days and days. It looks kind of like the the area of the, the fires of Mordor where they've struck. It was 
wild. It's uh, probably once in a lifetime experience to be that. It's actually a natural process that's good for the soil here. Fire that was threatening a town like ours. This is six years, almost seven years later, so you can get a, a faint idea of what it looked like. Uh, a man named Stephen Hadia, a math professor, a theoretical mathematician, came here uh, toward the end of that summer, just after these fires. He took a position as uh, the math professor at Chadron State College. Um, three months later, Stephen Hadia disappeared without a trace. Ironically, fire marked the beginning of his new life in Shadron, and it also it marked the end of his life. Whoa, what you mean? Small, small town? I'm interested. I'm interested. In Shadron. Nine months after the fire. It was widely reported that the cause of death of Dr. Hadia was smoke and soot inhalation combined with thermal injuries. That is true. Uh, in layman's terms, that means that Dr. Hadia unfortunately burned to death. Additionally, there were wrappings around Dr. Hadia's ankles, around his torso, his midsection, connecting him to a tree. What? Like I said, when I first got here, I come in up on top of this hill, and I was looking down into this area here. I didn't know there was a body. I thought maybe they already taken him out. Until you got up close and started looking and talking to some of the investigators, then, then it became, you know, obvious that there was something not quite right. I don't know. I don't know enough about the case to sit here and say that he was murdered. Yeah. She's kind of beautiful. But I don't believe that he was there alone. I think the suicide scenario fits for me. Obviously, it makes perfect sense that he would kill himself by tying himself to a tree and lighting himself on fire. That, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. None. If it was suicide... Commercial. What's up, people? Somebody check out a different my podcast. I got like 16 podcasts. Check them out. Assisted suicide. Someone had to help him get where he was, take the things he did, do the things he did. You know, and, and uh, that's uh, I, either that or someone killed him. Love and terror on the howling plains of nowhere. When I learned about the circumstances around his death had no explanation, the police th themselves had thrown their hands up. I thought innocently I would solve this mystery and bring to Stephen and his family justice. But let's begin at the beginning. Oh, ambitious. It's time now for the latest entry in our series, Three Books. Here's author Marion Winnick. Pope Valentine proves that there's still a member of the Beat Generation wandering among us. A ridiculously gifted writer 
who could tell a good story about Okay, nothing. this guy, like, he might be Valentine smart. Valentine has made sure he doesn't have to by spending most of his adult... Reality smart. He might be reality smart. I got, I got high hopes for this guy. ...life as an itinerant writer, cook, day laborer, gambler, and moral philosopher. Valentine is unflappable, hilarious, and so observant of his fellow men and women that his half-cocked hobo lifestyle cannot be mistaken for anything but a spiritual path. My name is Ed Hughes. I, I'm an author. Uh, I'm a writer. My pseudonym is Poe Valentine. All right, that's good enough, I think, as a start. I've, uh, I, I published my first book with Hawthorne um, in 2001, I believe it was, and then we've had four books ever since. A fifth book, uh, this one we're talking about now, it's about my neighbor, Stephen Hadia, who taught for three months at the local state college here and disappeared one day just before the end of the semester and was found. Three months, you couldn't have known him that, uh, that well. That's 90 days. I think you guys knew me longer than he knew Steve. And murdered. And I put my full time, what's, what's amounted to six years now, into the exploration, the examination of this profound and very disturbing mystery. So I used to use a lot of cilantro. I use a, just regular parsley now because it's got so much more. Um, it's one of those superfoods. I'll throw a bay leaf in and I think we're ready to go. Yeah, this dude just put after. Living by a guy that was, he was a writer, he was next door neighbor, and he he died within 90 days, and then this guy uh, puts the next six years into it. He's a suspect. He, write, write his name down. All right, George. I got my eye on him. Uh, there's, that's shattered. Population 5,600. My name is Joseph Applegarth. I am 49 years old, and I have lived in Shadron, Nebraska since I was 15. My name is Carl Daly. Lauren Zimmerman. Oh, my name is Phil Curie. My name is Joni Barrett. Dean Tucker. Christina Hughes. Christopher Minshaw. I attend bar here at Rector's Roadhouse. Hey, hey. I saw about, like, three people, even though they're older, Representing this town, I would say on a random, uh, on a random, uh, what do they call it? Polling. <laughs> hey, they, they got some pretty good looking women out there on a random polling. You betcha. Um, the sheriff of Dawes County, Nebraska. Jeannie Gessinger. And I own the old Main Street Inn. Chuck James. I'm a retired sergeant from the Shadow Police Department. My name is Amy Stone. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's four people based upon their age and their uh, demographics are look better than the average person in their demographic. She can get it. I'm in third grade. Right now I'm a grad student at the college here. I'm Richard Dabney, and I graduated from the University of Kentucky. Went to work for NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, doing uh, guidance and control. This guy's ambitious. He might be really smart. I don't know if he needs them glasses. He got a whole bunch of old computers around him. He got nice energy, too. He might be really smart. 
He might be a fraud, though. No, no, he might be really smart. He got good energy. Most fakers don't have that type of energy. Robotics uh, in the Fourth Space Program. My name is Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> he is Kenny Rogers. Some people think it's Willie Nelson, but I paid my taxes. And uh, Prairie this way, all the way to Canada, Prairie this way, all the way to Valentine or so. Hey, it's a lot of personality in that little town. I like that little town. You know, you got Prairie all the way across Wyoming that way, and you got Prairie to, you know, practically Egypt this way. I thought I'd landed on the moon when I got off the plane at Rapid City. This town, this area, it's like a vortex of timelessness. It's like got this base of sort of old conservatism, what I'd call good conservatism. My word and my handshake, you know, there's still some honor out here. So. Alright, uh, this is where I live, this is my little house. This one was dragged in from the country circa 1920. It's a real ranch house brought in from a ranch. Uh, <laughs> I think the bottom is small enough to serve you, or big enough to serve you, small enough to know you. And this kind of, kind of sums it up. It's a friendly, quiet little community. A lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, a lot of cowboys. Good people. It's a nice town. It's nice to raise your kids. You know, all the little league sports and the great schools and the, the hometown environment has been really good. I just wish he could have a little something else, more things to do, you know. Maybe a little bit bigger. <laughs> five for five. They don't believe me when I tell them there's one stoplight in three counties. That's Westco, the propane company. We always take our visitors to see the you know the most exciting sites. Of course, the propane company would be the first place we'd go. It's taking a sweet ass time getting to the. We came here for the murder. <laughs> Let me just take it easy. I think we can skip it. Let's go. Or, or magical, but there's just something about this this place that that keeps people here. You know, like fucking Stonehenge or something. You know, where they they keep building these fucked up religious sites on the same place. You know, century after century. I don't know. There's some weird energy here, man. But I don't know, and I don't know if it's necessarily good. So we're dealing with despotism. We're dealing with tyranny, control, all the things that we're seeing today throughout our society. And how we even have it in Shadron, Nebraska. But here, I, you know, in Shadron, there's not a whole lot of secrets. first time I heard or read the name Stephen Hadia was when he applied for a job to teach math. Our math department at Shadron State had been looking for a theoretical mathematician. You know, Shadron State's a fairly small community, somewhat remote, a couple of hours to the nearest mall. Not too often do you find uh, PhD mathematicians that would like to settle in that kind of a rural environment. 
When he came in for the interview, he was a little shy, but very polite and very nice and well-spoken, answered questions well and, and so forth, but seemed a little bit introverted. Not unusual for a math professor. First thing I remember is that they hired a person with a real PhD in math, which is difficult to do. Maybe that's Money. why, maybe that's why, because this is an educational circle. And they're, they're seeming uh, sharper than the average. Maybe that's why, based upon the uh, the uh, the circle of a math genius, maybe that's why. I was working at Safeway at the time. Uh, I've heard that he came into Safeway. He, he would shop there. Safeway closed at ten, and I'd get in there at nine forty-five. Wouldn't be anybody else. You know, the place would be empty, except I'd often see Steve there. He was a late-night grocery shopper, too. Intelligent, but introverted. Really hard to get much out of him other than, boy, it's hot today. I never even really spoke to him, you know, and he wasn't really a personable guy that stopped and visited. We would sometimes uh, have a drink down at the bar. You know, have a beer or something like that. A little bit of casual conversation. We made him his first martini, and he didn't know how to drink it. He didn't know what to do with it. He took his first sip, and, and he liked it. And I think I said something. I'm always making these grandiose, stupid claims, you know, just for fun. And I think I said something as close as you're going to get to God without dying. I'm sure that when he first came, he must have had a few bumps. You know, he didn't just leave out on stage singing Hello, Dolly, when he arrived here. You can imagine having finished a very stressful several years getting his doctorate and then stepping into an undergraduate program where he is teaching college algebra. That would be a heavy adaptation for anyone. There are times when the peace of this town, the quiet inaction, is so thick that you have to get up and check out the window to see if the world has not come to an end. So he's basically saying it's very slow out there. I came to Shadron in you know, 1994 and filed up there at unemployment. For my application. They the hell out this shit. I just look, man. This is an hour and 43 minutes. Man, so I gotta just let it play, or this is gonna be a. This is gonna be like five episodes. Fuck it. Let's go. All the restaurants, I think there were six non fast food restaurants at the time, and uh, Jeannie hired me for $4.25 an hour. I don't like to brag, but. So $4.25 an hour. That was 1992. Minimum wage, 4.25. I'm pretty sure I might be right. Are you all in with 1992? I'm all in with 1993. He started in 1993. I met Ed when he was back cooking at the old Main Street Inn. I was trying to hook up with the waitress down there, so I was down there a lot. And uh, we just hit it off, you know, started reading his books, and you know, we just eventually became friends. 
I sat down with him in our corner booth in the saloon and went over his resume and asked him why he was in Shadron, Nebraska. Oh, well, you know, um, to be frank, I was looking for a place to kill myself. I didn't want to live anymore, so I got a motel and I was going to do myself in. I told you I don't trust this guy. I do not trust this guy. So he came to the small town to do what people are assuming the math professor did. And he was his neighbor. Tell me more. I'm reading the book, The Best American Short Stories. And he says, while cooking at the old Main Street Inn, and deeply depressed and suicidal, and I went, oh my God. Uh, cooking was what I did uh, more than any other job. You know, there were about 18 restaurants, I guess. It's the most interesting thing to talk about. How much can you say about a radio antenna factory or a chemical warehouse or a transmission factory or pest control? There's just not much you can say. He said he would be here six months to a year. He told me he was here because it was a small town. He didn't have a car and he needed a good library. He says, I'm a writer. I use this to support myself and these jobs provide material for my writing. Uh, you know, I didn't expect to come out of this trek to to western Nebraska alive. I didn't want to live anymore. Things just weren't, you know, things weren't going right. And I didn't see any changes ahead. But, uh, but I, I got a, I kind of got cheered up when I came into Shash. I don't know. It was, it was May, but it was cold. And it was snow on the ground, like I say. And people were nice. And I'm no, 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 no. Let's try to skip it. Check out a different podcast. Have 16 of them. Doilies all over the place and a handmade counterpane. Ed's a much more worldly person than I am. Fuck he's Ed. Been around and he's done a lot of things, and um, I respect that immensely. It's so much easier to sit back and say, "Man, I probably could have done that," than to go out and say, "Man, I'm going to try and do that." I don't know. I, I just got re-encouraged. I got invigorated about uh, the possibility that something might turn my way again. But it, it, it did, <laughs> and I was gone in six months. Usually I would stick a place out through the winter if I could, because I don't like to travel in winter. Here I only saw two seasons, one merciless summer and a fairly uh, pleasant fall. Fairly pleasant fall, that's good, I like that. That's what it was, too. I just would get aggravated, you know. Uh, I would get too busy, and, and I just don't, don't handle that well. So anyway, and so I would lose my temper, and the first thing that would happen is a waitress would come right around the corner with a glass of wine, and they would stick it in there and get away. You know, and I would drink that glass of wine, and then they'd probably bring me another one. So I drank a lot here. It didn't help. <laughs> in the paper, I found the police beats, and they made me feel good, you know. I call them the textual antidepressant. The police beat is the column that we have of the logs that the police... Uh, man, man, hold on, man. Man, is this a game or something, man? They take it at a sweet time, but... Uh, 
I have a suspect. <laughs> that I don't like that dude's story. That dude's story is lined up to a person with a motive to kill the math professor. And have it so weirdly done. He went there to kill himself. He's a writer. Then he works at a place he says he's working there for material. While being suicidal, he but he worked there for material for his writing. Then he picks up the crime beat and starts reading the crime beat for excitement. And he's a writer. His neighbor get murdered tied to a tree in that small ass town. What's next? The guy gonna tell us he takes up not tying for a hobby or some shit? 26 a.m. Caller from the 300 block of Lake Street advised he just got home from the bar and his truck had been wrecked. Caller stated he didn't drive tonight because he knew he'd be drunk. He's already he's already writing about the small crimes in that town. Sweeps week when his neighbor get found a barbecue tied to a, a tree. Sweeps week. That'll sustain you for six years. Oh, wait. It has sustained him for six years. And he's being interviewed. Tell me more. And it's a favorite part of our newspaper. It's one of the most popular parts because of the strange calls that come in to the police. 9.36 a.m. Caller from the 200 block of West 3rd Street advised that John Lennon was at the bank yesterday three times, and he's already come once this morning. Caller stated he told her today that he's the ruler of the world. It's a common feature of community weekly newspapers across the country, but some of ours were unique enough that we attracted a New York Times reporter to do a whole story about the police beat in the Shattered Record. 1.20 p.m., caller from the 200 block of Moorhead Street advised a man was in front of their shop yelling and yodeling. Subject was told to stop yodeling until Oktoberfest. The way that we put the police beat together is simply by uh, verbatim reporting of what the police calls are. 9.20 p.m., caller from 1st and Maple Street advised there was a dead cat in the road. Unable to locate dead cat. Caller from the 200 block of Moorhead Street advised that a known subject was raising cane again. Stephen Hata was two mutual friends. He told me he had perfect pitch. He was compulsive. Well, I, I he'd say he was to me. He was a shy, um, interesting guy. Had kind of all the the ticks of a lack of better words in a positive way. Math nerd. Tennis shoes and slacks that were too short and real thick glasses and. But after I got to know him, he's a really neat guy to talk to. 
when he got his bachelor's degree at Black Hill State, his major was math, but he had, I think, three minors, theater, psychology, and political science, something like that. <laughs> so he was a, almost a renaissance man in a way that he could talk intelligently just about any topic he brought up. He liked chess, and uh, he was in the choir. Biking, walking, music, solving math problems, of course. Sports, baseball in particular, I'm sure he was attracted to the statistical nature of that sport. I, I have an interest in, in uh, foreign films, especially Eastern European films, and, and so did he. And so uh, we started talking about different filmmakers like Tarkovsky. I mean, I quickly realized he's really smart, and I'm drawn to, to smart people because I want to find out what <laughs> what's all in there, you know? One time, one time, we talked about the Fibonacci sequence with my limited mathematical knowledge. A little bit about fractals, but he, he was... I have not... Uh... Frankly, I probably could not have understood his dissertation. He was a genius. He was thinking way out of most people's realm of possibility. I mean, way he was up there. And a lot of people that are that way get a little eccentric, and they don't always see things the way we Damn, see them. Damn, they went commercial. It's not really mental illness. My name's Honor. Come on, man. Cut me in. I want in. All that damn money. He was obviously an intelligent man and in the know. <laughs> Some of the people in the class that used to joke that um, maybe he used to work for the government because of how his brain worked, you know, little conspiracy theories. He was extremely brilliant. I was in such bad shape after I left here, and I was surprised that I was still alive. I wanted to live with my parents. Thought about killing myself a million times a day. I read Tolstoy's confessions and everything I could get my hand on in the spiritual. After I'd read Tolstoy, who was uh, an adulterer and a, and, a, and a warrior and a murderer and a bon vivant, and he was, he was unafraid of death, but in his mid-40s, he just suddenly had this you know, existential crisis. And he faced the fact that he was going to die. He knew all the great men in the days of Russia and all over Europe. He knew all the theologians and all the historians and all the philosophers, and he went to talk to them. And he found out that not a single one had an answer for him. They weren't answering the question, you know, where do we come from? Where do we go? What is our purpose here? And at the same time, he was a man of great wealth, and he had a number of servants, and he noticed that the servants were always happy. And then he started just hanging around with them, and he realized that they were all religious, that they, oh, Christ was their savior. And so he became a, a Christian until his death in, in 1910. 
And so I began to pray, and, and Christ, you know, appeared and, uh, and saved me. <laughs> and I stopped wanting to kill myself. And then when I got enough money together, I left home at the age of 40 or whatever it was. And I don't trust this guy. And ended up in a residential motel in Kansas and got a job at a radio antenna factory. And for about a year, I was a devoted Christian. Not a devoted Christian. I didn't go to church or anything like that. I read the Bible, prayed every night. Christ was right there. I could see him. Because, you know, as Cohen says, uh, only drowning men can see him. And then, of course, I, like all the other ones before me, I sort of left Christianity behind. For certain, only drowning men could see. And things didn't get easier for me. I mean, that, that year was sweet. That year when I just was working at the radio antenna factory and I was writing really well. And I mean, things just started coming together for me. Yeah, I won a Best American Short Story for, my, for Blue, Devils of Blue River Avenue. Shortly after that, I was signed to a multiple book contract with Houghton Mifflin. I didn't want to go out there into the world again, but I realized I had to. I had been hankering to go to Mexico. Before, I wouldn't have been, I would have had to have worked to make a living, but I didn't have to work with my advance. So I, I was able to go to Mexico. Your visa is good for six months. And I think I was down there for five stints or so. The first two were easy because I was a writer with a contract with the largest publisher of the blah 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 blah. And I basked in that a little bit too much, I know, because I had struggled for so long and that was my triumphant moment. And trying to, you know, extract pleasure out of that was another source of another collapse. The, the book deal fell apart, I argued with my editor, and, and I just you know, forfeited the contract eventually. Long story short, I had to work. But I was lucky. I was sitting in the hotel one day, and Tito, Robertito, whose wife ran the language school up the street, stuck his head in the door and asked if any of us gringos wanted to teach English. And uh, Christina was one of my students. I always wanted to learn to speak English, so he was. I was taking some English classes. Uh, She's fine. At the same time, I was working as a dentist. She was going to take her final exam or something that would qualify her for the next level. She couldn't. I said hi to her, and she, she didn't know what I was saying. She had no, I said, you got no chance here. He offered to help me with my final test. I said, well, yeah, that's fine, yeah. So he says, okay, I will follow you until your class is over. And then I realized, are we going out? <laughs> oh, shit, you sly dog. I mean, I was attracted to her immediately, but we started you going out. Motherfucker. You sly, you slick-ass motherfucker. Tired English, huh? You tired more than that, huh? Tired of sign language, you nasty motherfucker. And I mean, seriously, to, to help her with her exams, which I didn't think she had a prayer. We went to have a cup of coffee and um, we talk and talk and talk, and it's how we met each other and how that relation started. She had these very simple dreams, three dreams. She wanted to learn to speak English, she was a dentist, so she wanted her own dental practice, and she wanted to see America. She'd never been to America. I could do that. 
Hey, watch your mouth. What kind of bad? With Karma Drive. Supposed to be a teacher. You fucking uh, fox in the hen house ass writer who might kill his neighbor. I'm watching this guy. Okay. And for some reason, I didn't. I didn't see her stuff around your little uh, rancher. So, uh, and her house looks nicer. Her backdrop looks nicer than yours. And I see kids on the wall behind her. And I haven't saw no picture, kid pictures in your house. What happened, dickhead? I thought about it, and oh, I says, well. I think it's time for me to have an adventure and meet some different places, different people, and let's go. Yeah. My past was so wild it appeared to have been lived by Peter Pan sniffing airplane glue. Wait a minute. Six eleven p.m. Wait a minute. Is this this dickhead's documentary? Even my mind go faster than my mouth can uh, read. This reads like that dickhead wrote it. Is this one of Elon Musk's uh, propaganda machines? Did he put out this documentary himself? My past was so wild it appeared to have been lived by Peter Pan, sniffing airplane glue. <coughs> I told her she could go home whenever she wanted. No hard feelings. That's that dickhead. He did that so his voice won't be narrating it because he disturbed it too. He did that because that's him narrating this documentary himself. And they're taking a long ass time to get to the murder. And this is like his little story. I knew I didn't trust that motherfucker. I knew I don't trust. I knew I didn't trust that motherfucker. This is his documentary. Meaning, he's the executive producer from Rooter to the Tudor of this documentary. Oh, shit. The caller advised he and his friend would be out at Second and Chapin with a werewolf. 6.15 p.m., caller advised werewolf morphed back into a human. Everything okay. The quote-unquote Christmas party. We have the community choir concert, which was in early December. For us, it wasn't a Christmas party. It was a, oh, do you want to get together after the concert? And it was just an impromptu thing. Cheryl and I, we like to reach out to people, you know, that seem like they don't have a circle of friends. And Steve was really in a talking mood, and so he had a couple Coronas and um, was uh, singing, and everybody left, and Steve was the last one to leave. And we stood right by the door there. I do remember discussing polar coordinates of all things. So that's, I mean, I like to talk about that kind of thing with, with smart people, you know? To think that two days later, he disappeared. You know, that was a pretty big shock, and I felt actually that, that wow. There was no indication. He seemed fine, happy. 
December 5th, RP reporting party advised he was informed of a missing instructor by Gary White, who was the Dean of Language and Literature at the college. Gary advised that Stephen Hadia hasn't been seen since yesterday at 4.30 p.m. We got a call from the college who said that Steve Hadia, who was a math professor, had not been to class all day and wasn't like him to miss. He was very punctual. We uh, showed up to class and there was a guy standing there that none of us knew. And uh, he waited until, you know, everybody got there to tell us that Dr. Hadia did not show up for work that day. We had very little information when he first disappeared, only that there was a person missing from the college under extremely strange circumstances. The general inclination I got as a faculty member was that he must have run off. I didn't understand that at all. He disappeared, but there wasn't this immediate, like, what the fuck? Professor missing. If it would have been a fucking football coach that disappeared for more than 24 hours, they would have called in the fucking National Guard. <laughs> it just came here. Maybe he didn't like it. You know, people pack up and, and drive back out of this town every single day. And so people stand around the water cooler, try to put piece together from what they know, what they think may have happened. It was what you read in the newspaper or heard on the radio, or if you were in conversation with somebody like Walmart. Especially those people who were in his classes wanted to kind of share their angle, talk about how maybe he was gay, and, you know, maybe he was a little effeminate, or maybe it was because he was a little socially awkward or something, but there was no way to avoid the story. Speaking of gay, just before, this is my observation of Sherlock Homeboy. Speaking of gay, that guy got that look like I can tell when guys put on makeup in the in private. That's like a strange gift. I could tell, I could tell, like I could tell guys who dress up as females in private for some reason. For some reason, I can tell when a guy puts makeup on behind closed doors, and that guy definitely has put makeup on in his life. Disappeared. He was planning for the next semester, and so he was asking me about books, what kind of a college algebra book I thought would be an improvement, perhaps, on what he'd been using. And so there was no sign whatsoever that would have led me to believe he was thinking of leaving. Perhaps this guy might have just walked off the face of the earth. Who knows? You know, it's not a crime to walk off the face of the earth. I'm not reading this dickhead shit no more. Well, yes, I am. I put it around town thinking of Hygiena and wondering where he might might have gone. His story in many ways felt like my own. I thought so too, dickhead. This gentle, awkward, middle-aged man who lived alone and kept having to start his life over. Whether or not he survived, I was bound to to the outcome. You know what's crazy about this dickhead? It's your story, but instead of you killing yourself, if he did, you can write that other ending. I thought it sounded like your story too. Thank mm -hmm. you.
here's one. And here's the other thing, too. Okay, so this yeah, my spirit's having a show like homeboy. Here's the other thing, too. He had just went to a party, and he was the last, he shut that party down. It was like a, it was a fake-ass party, too. And he shut it down drinking Coronas. So he was turning up. You his neighbor? He didn't, y'all didn't turn up? He shut down that lame-ass math party. So you his neighbor? Y'all both are single losers? And you, just no bond there? You guys didn't turn up? This is, this is the primary one. I had seen the potential for a, a long treatment of Shadron for many reasons, but there just wasn't a story. So when Stephen Hottie, the math professor, disappeared, I began to take notes, and I was conceiving. I couldn't help. I, my mind, I, you know, I... Check this shit out, though. Here's some crazy thing about it that was freaking me out. I think this is his documentary. I've been, my, my mind is telling me he's the guy behind this documentary. So I got to slow down because it's fucking my mind up because he's actually acting. He's talking for all intents and purposes to his, his own camera. Even if he has a cameraman. So... So it's a little weird. It's a, it's, a, it's a little weird. It's freaking me out a little bit. So we're just going to continue. I think on sheets of paper, every time something happens to me, it's it's a potential story. Every time somebody says something, I see it typed. And if I have a thought, I have to run into the room and write it down. So naturally, this was more alluring than your typical hike in the hills. It evolved all by itself into an 80,000 uh, word uh, story. Now, true, I'm not just writing about him, I'm writing about my many, many years of wanderlust and how I finally settled down here. I'm writing about my life. From an early age, I was convinced that uh, I was from somewhere else. I didn't, I, I don't have any sense of direction. I always had this whistling in my head. I just didn't, you know, relate to people very well. and. Uh, even when I did, I just didn't understand what they were doing and why they were so cruel to each other. I read so much when I was a child. I read things I didn't even want to read. I was reading. So I was convinced at some point that uh, that I'd been put here as a sort of a, of a conduit for another planet, you know. And all these things that I was learning about the, the Earth where I didn't belong, someday they were going to come back and pick me up once my head was full enough of all these earthly things. And my parents were so nice. They were just wonderful to me. I thought, well, God, this is a good set of surrogate parents I've been assigned to from my home planet. Maybe it's one of the reasons I kept traveling, trying to find that place where I belonged, you know, if I'm trying to find my people, waiting for that uh, ship to land. <laughs> I began to write because it was one way to feel commercial. like a human being and to accomplish something that... Let's go, man. Let's go. And it was one way to, to you know, connect. Weird too. Weird too. I'm here for the, the, the mysterious murder of a math genius. And we're almost 40 minutes in. I'm learning about this dickhead writer whose story sounds a lot similar to the guy's story who they're taking forever to tell us about telling us his life story and it seems like he's the mastermind behind this whole documentary 
Regardless, if he's not a murderer, he's a piece of shit. He might be a murderer or accessory, uh, Dr. Kevorkian type of assisted suicide shit. But worst case scenario, he's a pe- best case scenario, he's a piece of shit. Can you imagine your neighbor dying? Then you use that to tell your life story on a, on a DVD, <laughs> on a DVD called called Eric Silver Eric Silver Murder. By the way, hi, I'm Marlon. Let me tell you when I went to high school. I was in special ed classes. <laughs> we do. Uh, you see what I mean? Like worst case scenario, he's a piece of shit. Best case scenario, he's a piece of shit. I'm, that's not negotiable. I came here for the murder of a math genius. And it seems like you did a ritual on this math genius in order to tell your story. He has your story. And what a, what a great way to, work, to, uh, to write about your suicide. All you have to do is kill somebody, <laughs> kill somebody else to pick up the pen. I'm watching you, Mr. Uh, executive producer slash writer slash neighbor yeah i hate that word but it was it was it was a way to to, to make people feel something the writers that i admired were the ones who worked and lived among the people that they wrote about you know steinbeck's and the, the jack oh uh, that is so squirmy that is so yeah listen to the dude hey maybe i'm too Acting too much like Sherlock. Because I am Sherlock, motherfucker. Listen to what this dickhead say. He fucking with me now. Listen to what he say. Before we go to a little briefing. I guess his neighbor died under mysterious circumstances. His neighbor's story, the way he narrated it, was his, was his story. He made references to them having the same story even after I, before, after I thought it. So... He comes into this town thinking about killing himself. Long story short, he's a writer. Long story short, he got bored and took up a job for content to write about. Long story short, he started following the crime beat. He started following the crime, crime, crime beat of the local town. Long story short, his... The guy who's who got murdered was his neighbor. Then he's doubling back and talking about his type of writer was the people who was in the writers who was writing about the people they they were among. That's all fine and dandy, but that lines up too perfectly for your neighbor. <laughs> your your neighbor is just like you. You're a writer who loves to write about uh, the people you are amongst, and uh, you would think about killing yourself, and it seems like he might have killed himself, but kind of mysteriously, and you have spent the last six years focused on it, and you're the secret influence behind this documentary itself? Watch what this dickhead say. I began to write because it was one. This should be a rule. This should be a rule. When a documentary is about somebody else's murder, you're only allowed two baby pictures. I now, now this little. I saw. I saw the whole photo album. 
is that should that be a rule? When the when the documentary is titled about a math genius's death, uh, the writer who lived next door can't post ten baby pictures during the process of the documentary. Should that be a rule? like a human being and to accomplish something that might uh, go beyond my years and it was one way to to, to connect I hate that word but it was it was it was a way to, to, to make people feel something the writers that I admired were the ones who worked and lived among the people that they wrote about you know Steinbeck's and the, the Jack London's and all these so I so said he out, needed somebody among his circle to write about the backpack and here's what's weird it was weird. It seems they ain't got to it. The little that we got heard about this shit, it seems that Mr. Math Genius was murdered or killed himself in the abstract, abstract mystery writer dream. It's not even a normal murder or suicide. It's it's made for Hollywood. It's 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 a star stunning even way he died. And I just stuck my thumb out. I was eighteen. I wanted to find out what was going on. You know, when you write the great American novel, which is what we were all gonna do at some point, you gotta know about America. So I that was my first order is it's just to get a broad exposure to America, and not a stock market America or a franchise America, but uh, I guess what they're calling the underbelly of America now. But how do you find out? You don't find, certainly don't find it at the state university. How long did you go to that uh, school of journalism? Three years. Three years down the drain. Me, I didn't go to any college, but I know what makes a good story. Because before I ever worked on a paper, I sold them on a street corner. You know the first thing I found out? Bad news sells best. Because good news is no news. 9.45 a.m. Suspect... Man, that's heavy-handed. Look at this fucking dickhead, man. Fuck him. He's a suspect. Fuck him. He earned himself a lie detector test. Yes, he did. Fuck what you talk about. This guy earned himself a lie detector test. Yes, he did. Listen to the clip he plays. This He plays a clip of a guy back in the day. Sundance Kid, where the fuck that is? That's back in the day. Ace Man or something like that. But, 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 is this, are y'all fucking with me or something? Listen to this guy play a clip. This guy put this shit together. He played a clip about manipulating the news. That clip is about learning how the game works. That guy said he learned from selling paper before he became an editor. He learned from selling papers on the corner that bad news sells more than good news. So now that conversation is about now manipulating that fact. Man, that dude earned him a, a lie detector test. We're going to hear that one more time. We'll get out. He earned him a lie detector test. I wanted to find out what was going on. You know, when you write the great American novel, which is what we were all going to do at some point, you got to know about America. So I, that was my first order is, 
It's just to get a broad exposure to America and not a stock market America or a franchise America, but uh, I guess what they're calling the underbelly of America now. But how do you find out? You don't find, surely don't find it at, at State University. How long did you go to that uh, school of journalism? Three years. Three years down the drain. Me, I didn't go to any college, but I know it makes a good story. Because before I ever worked on a paper, I sold them on a street corner. And you know the first thing I found out? Bad news sells best. Because good news is no news. This dude is the official suspect. I, even, I don't even know the rest of the details. I'm sure like homeboy. He just, he earned himself a lie detector test. This this fucking dickhead. Basically, he was just waiting for the right bad bad news to uh, take off. And what a quinky thing! His neighbor mysteriously murdered, and now it reaches us on a in a in a uh, major way. And it's his fucking life story. Fuck that dude, man. We'll be back investing. If they ever get to the math, genius, we get back. But I'll tell you one thing. We might have cracked the case. This dickhead is suspicious. Till next time, I'm out. And listen, and uh, I had never heard anything about that because, frankly, the church that I grew up in didn't believe that those things happened today. But, you know, uh, they didn't believe there's demons. If there's demons, they're all in Africa. But I had demons in my house opening and shutting doors. You know, these folks that say there's ghosts and stuff, that's demons. And Jesus cast out devils. And those. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words uh, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Okay, now, wait a minute, wait just a minute. Wait. I don't know nothing about. I don't know nothing about drugs. I am a church boy. But at 14 years old, the streets of Chicago. No alibi, bye. Say goodbye, bye. Don't ask why, why. I might die, die. You either fly, fly, or you fry, fry. Every try, try, you always lie, lie. Every female, every guy, guy. Don't try to escape and get high, high. Now I lay me down to sleep. What I did do not happen to me. It might seem like I'm rapping to be. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, my apologies for heaven's sake. My inner space is out of space. Too bad it went down this way. Run DMC, then walk this way. Stare with the heaven on the hip hop beat. Staring at heaven even if I sleep. Wake up from death seven days a week. Consciousness is continuously. All I know is eternity. To be or not to be. The beat is feeling kind of deep to me. Is it you? It speak to me. Voices in my head play a symphony. Bach mixed with Tupac, Beethoven. I I stay smoking. I'm really trying quick, but I stay smoking. I really want to hit, but I stay hoping. The day seems the same open. I really want to change. I hope you notice. Forgive me for my sins when I lose focus. Forgive you. I hope you're joking. Karma came back and stuck his nose in. What you chosen is the chosen. Don't ever bye bye. Say goodbye.